You're listening to Frankly Earnest, hosted by Sam Christie, co-host and producer, Allie Hall. Wow, are we both here? We are both here. Can you hear me? We're recording too. Oh my God. I'm so glad that, that you sent me the invite because I was looking at my Anchor app. <laughs> and I can't, like, what do I do? You're like, invite friends and I'm going to hang up and we'll we'll meet on, on the podcast. And I was looking at the <laughs> podcast software like, what? How the, what? No, this will be good. This will be good because then I can put it. We can just talk like we're talking and I can do what I need to do with it. I think that's ultimately how this will work for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think so too. It's too hard to write like we were talking about. Yeah. And I I think it's good for me to just accept that, you know? Yeah. Um, A lot of people have have told me that I should write and that I'm a good writer and that, you know. It's not that you're not capable too, you know? It's, it's trauma. Yeah. It's. I should tell everyone who's the woman that you'll hear a lot of the time on here. Um, my name is Ellie Hall. I say um a lot, so does Sam. And I leave that in because I think it's a really humane part of us. <laughs> I think a lot of people do it and um, it might see <laughs> actually make a lot of people relate to us in some ways that you might not throughout the episodes. Um, well... <laughs> I'm a senior. I'm studying English with a women, gender, and sexuality studies minor. That's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast with Sam is because I'm doing it for a graduate class that I'm taking for undergraduate credit. A lot of you might say, why are you doing that to yourself? Yes, I know. I agree. But I love the doctor that facilitates the class. She's a great professor, and hopefully she'll listen to us. I'm really hoping that this podcast will reach a big audience. I'm hoping that it might actually validate some people, might change some lives. I know that might be a really big hope to have. I want to show folks that it's okay to open up about their experiences and their trauma. I want to talk about intersections. I want to talk about how gender plays into all of this with abuse and child abuse. I want to talk about domestic violence. I want to talk about topics like sexual assault. I want to talk about topics like how I think the legal system sometimes fails people who are trying to use this resource to obtain some type of justice in the situation that they were put in. I want to talk about how maybe the police maybe have some part to hold in all of this and have failed a lot of folks here. Overall, you can see, there's a lot that we want to talk about here. The first thing I want to do is make sure that Sam can tell his story here 
he can tell his truth and can open up about anything and everything he wants to. If you've looked up Sam, you might see that he's done stuff in the past, like interviews with Paula Zahn. I don't particularly like this interview, and I think that Paula Zahn has a lot of problematic things with her episode, but we won't get into those now, and you'll see that I'm trying to do the exact opposite of what she did here. So I hope you enjoy, and let's see what else is in store for the episode. I decided that we're going to do a topic of the day each week. If there's something you want to hear us talk about, send it to us on our Instagram at franklyearnestpodcast. You'll also see us post some pictures there related to some topics that we talk about today. You might want to go take a look. Today's topic of the day is marijuana. While some of us have fun experiences with marijuana, sometimes it's important to remember that others may have not had those same experiences. It's important to actively listen and validate everyone's experience that they share. It's also important to check with your state if it's legal to smoke marijuana and what that legal smoking age is. Oh, marijuana. Let's talk about Mary Jane. Let's talk about it's legal in New York. It just became legal last year. Oh my God, you're so lucky. I live in North I live in North Carolina. We're going to shoot for like the 38th or 42nd state. We don't, we don't want to be too first and we don't want to be too last, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I'm curious, Sam, have you ever tried yeah. marijuana? While, well, yes, I have tried the marijuana. Marijuana uh, increases, I, I believe this is widely accepted, that marijuana in, uh, increases our appreciation of novelty. So it tends to cause us to get excited about details of normal life that we wouldn't have even really noticed before. But we suddenly can see things from a new perspective. And I think it does that. But I didn't know any of that when I was a kid. My dad made me grow marijuana. Really? And and I was, um, you know, I was really identifying with my grandparents and church and Nancy Reagan was was the first lady, and she was saying, "Just say <laughs> well, no." <yeah. laughs> she was saying, "Just say no to just drugs." And no. I, I wanted to be a good citizen. I wanted just to be the best person no. I could be, you know. So, I would never smoke it. My dad made me smoke it when I was five, and I got sick and threw up. And then one time, when you were five. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he, this fun opening yeah, segment this, that touched on yeah. a, a hot topic really took a turn. Right. And and that well, is the core of this podcast, you know. That's right. That's to right. really call it out. So, you know, I think that was a great topic to bring up. For a little bit, I was like, is this maybe ill to talk about like drugs? No, no. But it's make it's sure absolutely it's absolutely central, you know. But um, um um five, that's um that's quite young. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I'd seen worse than that by then. Um, It's sort of the nature of my story. When I was three, my dad, I did told Paula Zahn about this one. When I was three, my dad put me in the oven. And then when he opened the door, he said, next time you speak without being spoken to, I'm going to turn it on. 
when I was four, he chased, I must've, I must've gone at him with a knife to try to threaten him. Cause he, he, I just remember him taking the knife away from me and me running. And I, I ended up running into the kitchen and hiding under the dining room table. And he, and he came in after me under there and he held my hair in his hand and slammed my head up against the wall and made me open my mouth so he could stick the knife in my mouth. And I remember the blade on my tongue and my cheek and he was shaking while he was screaming at me, just red in the face. He would cut my throat, cut my mouth open. Don't, you know, I never stand up to him and, and oh my God, it had to be one of the scare, you know, earliest scary, that had to be the scariest moment. I, I don't know. Wow. I, oh God. I'm really afraid of knives. I have a thing with knives. Yeah. Oh I my God. That. Yeah. So tons of stuff happened and, um, you know, on the lesser, wow. you know, lighter side, he made me smoke marijuana once cause he thought it would be funny. Um, wow. and, and I suppose, you know, it was, but I didn't think it was funny and I was no. never going to smoke marijuana. So I had a, you know, I was on the A honor roll. I kept my hair cut short. I liked to wear, um, uh, I, I dressed preppy. I had uh, the you know, the pink polo and the members only jacket and the five hundred one jeans <laughs> and and the um and the top siders. You know that was my look. I you know I stopped short of the bow tie, but um you know I was I was hoping to have that look and um and my dad had different plans in mind, but you know he had long hair and. Um, liked to go riding on his bike in his leather pants with the frills all the way down the side. And all of his friends are like, you know, kind of rough and tumble types, you know, they're not short haircut they and, and they, they weren't interested in what Nancy Reagan says. And yeah. they would all be like, what's wrong with Sammy? Why doesn't he want to smoke a little weed? You know? Yeah. Um, and by the time I was 14 or 15, I had, you know, there were women there saying, Hey, has your boy gotten laid yet? I'd sure, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, um, you know, give him, you know, give him a little education. And, but my dad was insanely jealous. So like, he, you know, he wanted every, you know, woman, including my mom to only see him, uh, that fragile, you know, insecurity again, you know, like he, he had to present himself as so tough. So who is Sam Christie? Ernest Christie III. You're probably thinking what we are. Why the hell were there three of them? His grandma actually thought the same thing. Lena. She said, why are there three Ernies? We cannot have another Ernie in this family. So they decided to call him Sam. And so we'll refer to Sam as Sam here. But his dad will be called Ernie and his grandpa Ernest. Just for the record. enjoy playing the guitar and um and i i like some music it's it's hard for me to kind of explore new music because i I had a very limited range of what i was allowed to play when i was growing up Um, and i um i don't know i've I've had a career in in fixing things and building things mainly construction um i i like doing that i like working with my hands um and you know i've always felt like I was a little bit odd and, and people even said that and 
you know, thanks to the internet, I know that people just say that and that everybody's odd. Um, it's so true. that's nice. Uh, but uh, it is very true. Yeah. So I, I grew up, you know, before the turn of the century, before before the internet. Um, and um, and that was the only world I knew. And, and that it was easy to uh, or it was hard to see outside of it. I was working on my dad's commercial fishing boat, living on my dad's cattle ranch. And the only outlet I had was, you know, my trips uh, going to school. Um, yeah. Got married and, and uh, had kids and got involved in in the church. All Maybe that not, fun stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all in the reverse order. Church, marriage, then kids. And um, yeah. church was a huge part of my life. Um, you know, I grew up in an in all, pretty much entirely all white community. I grew up with um, with those PSAs, um, Schoolhouse Rock, and um, I and my and my public yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Conjunction <laughs> junction. What's that? Hooking up words and phrases in clauses. Oh. Yeah, that was make complete sentences. <laughs> Hill. <laughs> right. But I had this idea that, okay, my family's weird and racist and backward, but that the whole country, the whole world has figured it out and we're moving forward. You know, um, the races are free. Women have equal rights. It's the great American melting pot. And my grandmother mainly supported those new liberal ideas ex- with, you know, the exception of she would, say to me she didn't want me to bring home a person of color you know um you know dating in her or a romantic sense now we're going to talk about claire christie this is sam's mom she passed away march 30th 1977 allegedly in a boating accident She's a missing person, legally, and we requested the missing person's file, and we'll update you as soon as we get information. Regardless, something happened to her while she was with Ernie, and he had a clear pattern of abuse. She fell right within his path. And so my mom and my dad meet at some some party, some gathering, right? And and so he's a twenty three year old guy. She's sixteen, um, and and he's you know um, just he's looking for um, high school girls to have sex with him. Twenty three you know, and sixteen. Yeah, and she wasn't wow. the first. Like he was, you know, he he was like, oh, just wait till your early twenties. You know, I just oh, so that was the a high pattern. schools. Yeah, yeah, he cruises the high schools, picks up, you know, some 16, 17, whatever age girl, and, uh, you know, and then, um, you know, he was just looking for, you know, the ones that would let him keep having sex with them. Um, wow. So compelled, you know, and, and so he gets together with my mom, and and he's in and out of jail, because he's, you know, causing trouble all over town, and, and fighting with people, and um, lighting houses on fire and you know really you know t- 
top of his asshole game. And I, I'll go back in time and tell his story another time. Um, but but she um, she ends up moving into um, a roommate situation or a, I don't know who she moved in with, but she moved in with a different part of her family or I, yeah, I'm not clear on that, but, um, and then my dad was worried, you know, that this, you know, they, they, they broke up and got back together and he was, you know, worried he needed to keep, get her, you know, under, under his wings. So he, um, convinced his, his parents to, um, to, you know, give, give him a place. They had some rentals. Um, of course he's in jail. And so he works it out with them to move my mom into her own place. So now she's got her own place and he gets out of jail and comes in and lives there with her. But, um, or that's, that's the plan. So tell me more about Claire. What was Um, it like when Claire, do you know anything about Claire before she met him? Oh, well, I mean, I know she, from, from her, uh, from her cousins, and her sisters uh, that she was, um, you know, very adventurous and, you know, stubborn and sarcastic, stuff, sarcastic. And I know stuff like that, you know, um, my, I saw a photo of, of they were young and, and their mom wanted to take a picture of the three of them when they were dressed up, but just have them, have them sit on the steps. And the photo is, um, she said that um, Claire uh, stopped the whole thing because she wanted all of her dolls in the photo. Picture is Claire's dolls carefully arranged in the middle of the steps and Claire sitting beside them and her two sisters kind of having to scrunch in around them to make room. (laughs) This is a beautiful photo. Anyway, (laughs) you know, I don't, she, um, I think my dad made her, feel um like you know kind of the you know the super special big love bombing you know like this is you know i'm the greatest guy ever and you're the best woman ever and we're doing the most amazing stuff that nobody else understands and got our little we're following jesus like nobody else understands and he he convinced um to you know to start believing and um really yeah and she she and convinced her to you know read her bible and that she'd been wrong and she started even taking me to church we didn't really like to go to church but she had been an atheist um in in a family that was was allowing and loving and you know they're the kind of people that you know they love you for you and you know your choices you see things that's that's your right you know my dad didn't see things that way at all um you know he was right. The whole church is wrong. Bible's right, but only the way he says it, you know. Um, and and he he pulled her into animals. We had goats. We had geese. We had um, deer, uh, you know, nearby uh, all the time, and um, and deer heads on the wall. And and my mother was always uh, doing macrame stuff, so we had all kinds of um, hanging. Uh, netting for holding things or for planters or um everywhere and there were i remember the beads on the on the kitchen door she did all that and and she would macrame these these nets around they would find these glass uh fishing floats 
when they were out on the ocean and um, like, uh, you know, a foot diameter green glass balls. You can see them sometimes in like little marine um, gift shops or restaurants. But we had a bunch of them. We had like six or seven of them hanging in the corner at different heights in these nets. And, uh, and they were all like, you know, a foot across, like big, beautiful glass balls. And um, anyway, so she made the house all nice. She did all that stuff, you know, and my dad had the boat and blew off steam and went and did drugs and, you know, um, hung out with other people sometimes for a while. And, and, um, and I was with my mom. Um, I don't, I don't know if she believed that she'd be able to, to get away from him. And yet, you know, he, um, I never thought I could, I thought he would come kill me if I tried to leave, you know? Um, I look back now and I realize that's not true, but, um, but anyway, in, in that, in that whole cycle of all that abuse, um, my mom, you know, was, was doing stuff, you know, she was, she got to drive, drive the car and go places and he'd go places. And so there was a little bit of independence and, and he was down at the docks, but they were fishing together all the time. And he was down at the docks and my mom was always working on the boat and, and somebody said something to like, she went off to go do something else, took off in the car and he's still at the boat base. And, and somebody down there says something like, Oh boy, you're, you know, Claire's looking awful manly. And, um, and so he goes and, you know, this bothers him, you know, that she, you know, he needs her to be looking, you know, more, more feminine. Can't have the guys thinking that he doesn't have the, the beautiful, perfect bride, you know. Fragile masculinity. Um, yeah, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. Oh my God. Yeah. My dad, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So, so he, you know, I guess we're at home and, and he peels out, you know, some cash. And uh, at this point, she probably already has her own money hidden away. Um, but, you know, the way it was with me, like I wasn't, you know, I was, I was allowed to hold money, but it was heavily monitored every dime. And, um, and I imagine, you know, she was, you know, she'd had a similar experience because of stories like the, the, the hundred dollars for the sweater. So he's upset about this, what this fella said. And, and he comes home and he gives my mom a hundred dollars and says, you know, go get yourself, you know, some, you know, a nice dress or something, get me, you know, so you can look nice. And I, you know, like who knows what, you know, he probably just like felt insecure and then took it out on her and you're, you know, you look ugly and, you know, like a, you know, damn boat puller, gross, you know, probably threw the money at her, maybe even hit her. I don't know. You know, he was a dick. Sometimes he could be so sweet. I, it's hard to know what happened. I only know these details that he gave her that money and she went to go buy stuff. Well, she yeah. probably went to the craft store or to the art center because she was always, you know, dropping stuff off, getting more craft supplies and they were making a lot of money fishing. And so she had, you know, their, their stuff, which makes the dress seem weird, but a hundred dollars was a lot of money back then. So, <clears throat> so she bought a, uh, some rainbow fabric and a corduroy jacket and put that jacket together for him. I have, I have photos on, on TikTok. Um, I, sh you know, we'll have to add some online links for this stuff. But, um, 
and then she made she made a sweater she brought uh you know um yarn or whatever to make my my little my little sweater i had and i still have and so she comes home with this stuff and the story that he was telling me when i was 12 13 14 was you know and he'd be crying when he told this he liked to tell me this story when he was in the middle of beating me like if he if i expressed potential uh contempt at him for standing there slapping me in the face he would tell me this story to inspire me to take it better you know um he'd tell me how she walked in and she wasn't she wasn't weak she wasn't scared she looked at me and she said i know you're gonna beat me but i bought this stuff anyway and he beat her like beat her bad like took her in the back bedroom and beat her for hours and I went in my bedroom like I always did, or they put me in there and they I had a lock, they had a lock on the outside of the door to keep me in my room. And um and I, you know, I you know, I just uh zone out in there and try not to hear things. I, I spent a lot of time hiding in my closet underneath everything, trying to to not hear. When I go back to memories of and try to focus on um memories of when I was a kid, like I'm you know, I can't uh you know, I can't uh, pull up what was happening, but I, I, I know, you know, there was, there was screaming and yelling in the other room and there was, you know, I, you know, um, I can feel it. And, and, um, anyway, so then after that beating, she, uh, made my sweater and, um, his jacket. So that was the story that, you know, she came home and, and, um, and said, I know you're going to beat me, but I did this anyway, because I want to make these things. And so he did, he beat her. And, and when he would tell that one, you know, sometimes he would express a little bit of regret, like, you know, but he would be like, you know, look, she knew what she was going to get. She knew how it was. And that's who I am. And, you know, and, and God understands, you know, um, and, you know, she understood too, you know, and the only flaw here, Sammy, is that you're weak and sniveling while you're getting beat. You're the problem, you know. So this is how I would hear the story, but um, but he would, you know, and he'd wear that jacket. And usually it was, um, he didn't wear it a lot. A lot of times he would not wear that, and he would get offended if I suggested it or asked about it. Uh, we were only allowed to talk about the jacket when he was telling the story and the rest of the time it hung up, but there were times where he would just put it on. And, and generally it was when he was pretty emotionally charged and he would want to go into town. You know, he liked to wear that jacket when he rode his bike. Yeah. It was his little special jacket. Anyway, anyway. Um, okay. But he, he beat her and I don't know, you know, I don't remember. I was little. Um, and it was usually, and you know, he'd tell all these stories about beating her. Like, I didn't really remember that. If he had never told me that he beat her, I wouldn't have included beatings in the story. I would have thought he was just beating me and I'm, you know, but he told me all these stories about beating her. And it was tons of times for all kinds of stuff. I've, I've, uh, I was in the living room and they were, you know, arguing and she went running from him and um she ran right past me in the living room and and she was he was coming out of the kitchen behind her and he threw a um 
like a, a can of, of vegetables at her. And she had turned. It was like, it's weird how much of this I can see visually, but she had turned and, and I guess it hit her in the face. I think I saw him throw it. And then I turned to look at her and she was facing us and she had um, this line across all the way across her, the bridge of her nose. And, and it was open and there was a big blood bubble blowing with her exhale on top of her, her nose. And she had to go to San Francisco and have surgery, but he was really rough and he would get violent, but he, you know, at the drop of a hat, but he would also do these, these shame beatings. And so our Christianity was, was really ingrained. I mean, I, if I had to go into my room while they were, you know, doing whatever he was wanted to do, I, I was usually listening to Jim and Tammy Faye Baker from the Praise the Lord, the Lord Network, PTL, Praise Jesus. Or, um, you know, at nighttime I had my, my poster of the, the guardian angel. It's the, the painting with the, well, it was a print, but, you know, it's a common one of the two little children, little white children walking across a bridge in frilly, frilly clothes and it's nighttime and the guardian angel is above them kind of holding her hands out, you know, to keep them from falling. And so I thought, well, I've got angels watching me, you know, and that'll be fine. We ran away to women's shelters. Um, we, there was a time when we ran away and went to Seattle for three weeks. And finally my mom decided to come back because she felt sorry for my dad. Um, it's so weird that someone so violent and controlling was also eliciting so much pity. You know, my grandmother would do things for him that he didn't need done. I did things for him that he didn't need done, you know, um, or that he should have done for himself, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you ever think it was practiced incompetence or do you think he actually <laughs> didn't know? Well, um, yeah. you know, in, yeah, yeah. Maybe some of that, um, and he definitely needed me to to take on that role and to feel sorry for him. That part was practiced, you know, practiced um, victimhood. If anyone ever played the victim, as they say, it was my dad. Did I tell you about the time that she ran away and left me there? Left you with him? Yes. I think you mentioned it, but I don't know if you went into it. It's my most vivid memory of all my memories of her. It's the only one where I can see her moving and, and, and see that she's talking. And we were out in the field in, you know, on, at nighttime and she was really insisting that I pay attention. She was kneeling down in front of me and we're out in the tall grass and she was explaining to me that she needed me to watch her and she was going to run across the field and she pointed to a tree in on the edge of the property um, a couple hundred yards away and made sure I knew which tree she was talking about. And she said, I'm going to go under that tree and I need you to stand right here and watch me until I'm gone. And, and then go tell your dad that I left. And so I stood there and I watched her and she ran down the, the little driveway and across the field across the next field and then she made it to the tree and then she disappeared and I turned and I could see the trailer and the lights are all on and there was music playing inside maybe there were people over maybe it was a party I don't know 
Um, and that's the last thing I remember. I do not remember going inside. I don't remember, you know, being with my dad or, but I do remember my mom coming back and making up with him and, and just feeling, you know, just crushed inside. Um, I had a cat, her name was Queenie and she had kittens, but she had her kittens on my bed because we were tight like that. And my mom, um, came in before I woke up and cleaned up all the mess and, and got the kittens all cleaned up. So I woke up to fluffy kittens and, and my cat Queenie on my bed beside me. And they only let me keep one of those cats. Um, and I named him Chucky after my dad's drug dealer friend. Well, I don't know if a drug dealer, but you know, like <laughs> my dad was not impressed with the choice, but I thought it was a cool name. Um, it, but little things like that, I think used to freak my dad out. You know, I, why, why did animals, you know, behave differently f- with me? He was very superstitious. And I think that's a lot of what saved me. You know, he, he, he did really believe um, that, you know, the spiritual world exists and, and the, you know, the um, God and Jesus and all that. And he had his own interpretations, you know, of what, what, what the important parts were. Um, But he was, he was big into the Bible and he was really superstitious. And he thought that I had some kind of, you know, he kept seeing signs that I was maybe touched or connected to God somehow. Like when I predicted, um, you know, seemingly that, that my mom was going to die the day before. Um, that must have really bugged him <laughs> and, and the animals bugged him, you know? Um, so it's to me like the, the bigger overarching story that I feel compelled to tell is that my mom was an atheist and my dad drug her into this, 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 uh, patriarchal Christian, um, belief, literal belief thing. And, and it was the thing that kept her trapped and she got killed trying to leave it. And it's the thing that kept me trapped. But it's also the thing that saved me. My faith in, in, in Jesus at the end when I was, you know, seven, eight, 17, 18, like that's what saved my life. It's what gave me the courage to not be afraid. Um, and, you know, so I, I don't know. We were trapped. but um, But I think my mom and I both, you know, had a a huge positive influence in the other direction. You know, by the time I left and got married and started having kids, my dad, you know, had uh, given up on, on, uh, on dominating women. He had a girlfriend who was smacking him around and he was always sad because she was running off, you know, but he loved her and hoped she'd come back. And, and he was really nice to the people in the community and he kept to himself, you know, talk about Lena here, who is Lena Christie. That's Sam's grandmother. I think that her and Ernest Christie are a crucial part to this story. Um, I, you know, I've, I've met people who, you know, who knew my grandma and I didn't, you know, I had a friend who was uh, traveling around California meeting with missionaries and he was at some house and he saw a picture of my grandmother on their fridge and he's like oh my god that's my best friend's grandma what what, what do you have a picture of Lena for and 
and he he called me about it because he said oh my god that woman right there like she's done so much for us such a good woman such a good person just you know just poured out her heart and fed us all and took care of us and you know like just the one of the best people on the planet and she really was you know she was terrific she was always trying to help people and i when i would hang out with her like we would once a week we were going to the nursing homes to visit people uh, that she had known from previously and you know she had like a route of people that we would go visit we would take them flowers and sit with them and you know folks that were never getting out of a home or folks that were you know yeah. permanently disabled and and wow. that was just that was just like her thing you know wow but she was also into you know like you know let's not bring up any bad stuff that your dad did let's not you know say anything embarrassing and um and and she really wanted to believe that her son, you know, was uh, was good and was going to go to heaven and wasn't going to go to hell because she didn't want to feel, you know, guilty for having raised a monster, you know. Yeah. Grandma and grandpa, they uh, they were just they just wanted everybody to behave, you know, so they could focus on making their money. And it was a you know a whole new unfamiliar world and um, the forties and fifties and you know all the technology and the freedom for kids and. Do you know? We're- if he hurt animals when he was a kid i know that's oh, like a, yeah um, yeah he said he used to um that's a that's a that, trait with serial killers yeah. is that they, they he hurt said he animals. he said he yeah 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 so he would he used to um he got a bb gun and he would go shoot um birds and and you know he shot and shot trying to shoot a bird and he finally shot one and then he brought it to his mom or his yeah to his mom and and um and and wanted her to fix the bird and um and they laughed about it it was a story they laughed about like oh or you know why'd you shoot it if you you know you wanted to wanted to be alive <laughs> and you know so my dad you know had a real complex about getting made fun of and but he continued the bird behavior and he just kind of switched to a teenager who was really into duck hunting uh, my grandpa had gotten eight ducks in one shot um, on a couple of occasions and used to brag about it. And um, and he took my dad uh, duck hunting when my dad was like uh, 11 or 12. And my dad got nine ducks in one shot. And then my grandpa never took him again. So let's talk about the boating accident. Okay, so... Um, so I don't remember, you know, a lot of the, um, um, things that happened in my childhood. Yeah. Um, but I do remember the night before my mom died and, I, um, my parents were, uh, or had taken me to my grandparents' home to my dad's parents, Ernest and Lena. And, um, and their plan was to leave me there at dinner time and, go out themselves because they they needed to go out and have a nice dinner and celebrate um and then they were going to go fishing the next day so um this was apparently normal to leave me at my grandparents i was five years old i couldn't really go out on the boat um so it's very dangerous out there but um um but i i ran to the door and tried to stop them and um, I remember what I said. I kept saying, don't go. One of you is going to get hurt. 
one of you is going to get hurt. And that's as specific as I got. Yeah. But I do remember seeing all their faces, the four of them kind of look at, looking at me like, what's, what's wrong with Sam? Why is Sam acting this way? And of course, my grandmother kind of leading that charge, like, oh, that's funny. Why would he even say something like that? And they got me away from mm-hmm. the door and stopped being silly, Sammy. Everything's fine. And, and they left. Um, and then the next morning, I was in the kitchen and my grandmother had the radio turned on. She would often put her biscuits on it to rise, but yes, she'd never what, like, why, why? Well, because biscuits? it's, um, yeah. Oh, it's, so she, she, she'd make, yeah. So you make your biscuits and then, you know, you really want to, <laughs> what, what, but do, do they exude heat? What is the, what? Yeah. 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 It's an old radio and it, and it's giving off just a little bit of heat. Oh, so old and, radios yeah. used to give off heat? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's old I, technology I'm like, with... I'm um, so young. I'm like, I'm they're... confused what's yeah. going on with yeah. biscuits. Yeah. yeah, it's got tubes and a, a little hamster okay. in there on a wheel and all kinds of things going on. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, there's a small dinosaur in there that turns a stone uh, uh, generator. And anyway, <laughs> um, and it, it so generates the, the just a little bit of heat. The, so she'd the put radio. them on there with a cloth over them and her biscuits yeah. would rise for a little bit before she baked them. That way she yeah. could get, you know, a really big biscuit. Because yeah. you put them in the oven and they kind they pretty quickly, while they're rising, they're also kind of freezing in that shape as yeah. they're cooking. Mm-hmm. And so she'd rate, you know, let them rise a little bit before baking them. And and so I'd yeah. seen her do that. And this day I noted the radios, like the volumes on. Yeah. And she, um, she had it on a little, a little cart next to, you know, at the end of the dining room next to the kitchen and we're listening to this this radio broadcast um and they keep coming back to um the fishing vessel famel which i knew was my parents boat has gone down in the entrance and coast guard has they've responded and they were able to pull one person from the water uh, but it's believed that, that the other occupant of the boat is still on the boat and, and hasn't been recovered yet This is a clipping from the Time Standard, published in Eureka, California. It was a 20-cent paper, 24 pages long, and said, Increasing chance of showers forecast for Friday. Search continues for missing woman. The Coast Guard said today it will continue its search for a woman reported missing after the fishing vessel she was on capsized and sank Wednesday noon near the entrance to Humboldt Bay. Three Humboldt County Sheriff's Marine Posse divers will explore a site 20-something miles south of the jetty at about noon today. According to Petty Officer Red Fuller, he reported that a Coast Guard 44-foot rescue boat latched onto something substantial 84 feet below the surface at that spot while conducting a search on Wednesday. Heavy seas made it dangerous for divers to descend this morning, Fuller said. Coast Guard spokesman Don Morris said Wednesday night that the vessel El Dorado collided with the Fame L, the boat on which the missing woman and her husband were fishing. The Fame L's capsizing was reported to the Coast Guard station by Eureka fishing boat Dawn, which reportedly observed the Fame L drifting south. Two Coast Guard boats were dispatched to the scene, and they pulled the woman's husband from the water. According to a Coast Guard spokesman, 
One diver searched 90% of the fame L and did not find the woman. The only section not searched was the boat's engine room, he said, indicating that it was not likely she would be inside. Earlier reports that the woman was wearing a life preserver were unsubstantiated, Petty Officer Fuller said, though he did not deny that she might have been wearing one. Fuller also noted that the cause of the capsizing remains under investigation. He pointed out that seas were heavy at the time of the accident, with waves ranging from 10 to 20 feet. The 35-foot crabber reportedly sank after about two hours. The sheriff's office will assist in the search for the woman checking beaches for signs of the body. The woman's name, as well as those of her husband and El Dorado crew members, have not been revealed. Now, what's his um, telling of what happened down there? What had he ingrained? Oh, so, I mean, the story that, that he told me, you know, driving around in the car in between crying and singing hallelujah. And, and mm-hmm. for years afterwards, the story he told was they were in the, they were coming in and they got hit by a rogue wave and uh, a big, you know, doubled up super tall, powerful wave flips them end over end and they end up upside down in, in the cabin. And so the cabin's in the water and the boat's upside down and they are swimming with their heads in the engine room. Cause the, you know, which so he you know, says sort they're of, in the engine room. Yeah. He says they're in the engine room. So wow. I, and, and somehow and, the door. Gets locked. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. the platform is the floor the in that boat there was a uh, a large platform like maybe mm. four foot square or something like that that you lift up and yeah. there's the engine you know so you have to move everything out of the way yeah. if the boat flipped upside down that floor panel would have just been running around loose in yeah. that you know that cabin you space want to be but... able to access it we talked about that yeah so you want yeah. To have... yeah yeah so but his story is they're in the engine room now because that's where they can breathe but it's yeah. pitch black and and they're in there and they don't, they don't know what to do. Um, and she says, we need to get out of here. And, and, and he says, I remember. And he's, and so this is his mistake that he, he owned up to. He confessed that, well, she wanted to just get out of the boat right away. And I thought that we should make sure we have something to hang on to before we get out of the boat um, so that we don't drown, you know, without being able to get up on top of the boat or something like that. And so he, you know, made up this story that they're pulling off wires and hoses and, you know, tying them together to create a, a leash so that they can hang on when they try to swim out. And, and they're working on this and, uh, and she's, and he says they're on opposite sides of the engine and she's over on the other side. And, um, and he hears her over there saying, thank you, Jesus for the light. And he says, I thought, are you crazy? It's pitch black in here like why would you be praying right now and then he hears her say thank you jesus for the air and again he's thinking that's that's she's fucking losing her mind we can barely breathe it smells like diesel in here and and the seawater's in my mouth and and then she says thank you jesus for being here and he thought fuck man jesus isn't here fuck that shit what a bunch of bullshit and he said just then the boat started to roll onto its side so and he heard her gasping for air and drowning and then the water flushed through and he he was like i was just waiting to die too 
but the the motion of the water just pushed me out and the coast guard pulled me out of the water mm. and uh but yeah, he, i mean he got locked and 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 yet when the coast guard went down the door was locked huh. which you know yeah that obviously um and and that's what baffles me about the system how did they not why no was there not no more one questioning no one, yeah, but no one investigated him unless yeah, someone. But wh- yeah. Why? You know, somebody's mm. missing. He's saying he's getting pulled. You know, why? What's actually happening? You know, it's insane yeah. to me. So the engine room was locked. They searched 90% of the boat, but the engine yeah. room was locked. Yeah. Where were the keys? Do you know? Okay, so um, nobody locks their engine room, meaning yeah. nobody puts a lock on their engine room. Nobody installs a lock. There is no, there's no yeah. door with a lock. People have, like maybe a latch or um, or they have a um, a trap part of the floor that you lift yeah. up. It, it was like that. So the floor of the cabin had a couple couple of rectangles that you would lift out in order to get to the engine room so it's not really a door and there would have never been a lock on it so for it to for the diver to say that it was locked means that my dad had to have attached a a hasp or something like you would put on the outside of a shed and probably put a padlock on it so he had to have you know been working on that at some point he had to have put her in there put a hasp on the on the engine room and then closed it and then put a padlock yeah so i mean but he had to have he had to have put on some sort of a makeshift lock the boat wasn't built with that where were the keys did he have keys on him after did you i mean i mean i don't you know this is all just conjecture but like no i mean if if he had put a lock on there then he probably would just throw the keys out you know lock her in get rid of the keys and you know swim to safety you know you think he would have thrown them over oh yeah yeah he wouldn't hung on to those you know what for to prove that he had keys i mean he might have it's he might have also just hung on to them and you know put them on his key ring and maybe every time he looked at his key ring he knew he had that key you know for a while and and i'm just you know listening silently and and you know uh I, when I think about it, like I, I'm holding my breath automatically when I when I remember this. But I, yeah. but they played the the broadcast again and and said that they had pulled one person out of the boat. And I, and I said, Grandma, they pulled another person out of the boat. They're both safe. And she said, No, no, honey, they're they're just repeating it. Uh, and I don't know what she already knew because they didn't tell me anything. Yeah, they just had me get in the car and drove me to the coast guard station so they must have already known that my dad was the one who who survived but they didn't want to tell me oh my god um and so i'm we're driving down to the coast guard station and it's you know like a half hour drive and i don't know if it's my mom or it's my dad that survived and Mm -hmm. i really wanted it to be my mom we um the next thing i remember is is walking through the coast guard station and I was walking by myself in front of my grandparents behind the, the officer that was taking us um, down into the the basement. And um, it bothered me that he was walking ahead and we weren't walking as fast as we could because I really wanted to find out. And I, I was feeling so hopeful that it was my mom 
that had survived, but I didn't want, I didn't want to say anything about that. And, and when he opened the door, it was this huge room and it took me a second to kind of scan the room and realize out there in the middle of the room, sitting at a little table in a little chair was my dad. And I, I can remember the feeling, the crushing feeling inside. Um, so, oh, they, uh, they opened the door and I, and I see him there. And, and so I went straight to him knowing that I, I, I was worried that he could tell that I was disappointed. Yeah. And so I ran up to him and I put my hand on his shoulder and, and did my best to smile. And I said, come on, pop, let's go home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we left and, and, and went home and then it's just me and him out on the 80 acres um, and he, he would take me for drives. Um, so like, I think that first day we're, we're driving in the car and he wanted, he was singing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, uh, you know, the, the chorus that goes, okay. hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. and he's just crying and he's holding my hand. And I remember like not wanting to hold his hand anymore, but feeling like I kind of was supposed to. And I was, I mean, like, I was not even reacting oh. to my mom just died. I was, I look back and I was right into active, no matter what happens, I need to appease this guy. Like, I need to do my mom's job now, as I understood it as a five-year-old. So for a little while, I'm getting him dressed in the morning and encouraging him to to feed the animals, to get up, to go places, to do things. You know, and that went on for four or five months and included some 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 essay stuff um which i you know but i mean that's different but but the um and then i got to go live with my grandparents but that day the day that um that she died like that's all i remember is that that radio and hearing the broadcast and trying to hide from him that i was upset that that he was the one who had survived yeah and, and so that sort of, you know, turned into me like just immediately saying, well, no, it's okay that my mom died. You know, that's, that's what yeah. was supposed to happen. That's cool. And I, I never, you know, really let myself feel it back then. When did it kind of like sink in that she was gone, like stopping the search and. Um, I mean, they stopped the search that day. Yeah really bad and the boat was uh you know had sunk and was scooting along the bottom with the current and they had a buoy tied to it but they lost the buoy you know it made it like you know two miles out to sea and 10 miles down the coast and then was too deep uh, for them to continue to follow it and then they had to call off the search because the weather was so bad and then days went by and then you know that was it you know, so the fact that he, you know, he would let her, well, your mom had just saved up 50,000. But as after he died, I got reflecting back and I'm like, well, wait a second. You know, how can the other stories yeah. be true that you beat her for spending a hundred dollars wrong on clothing, but she's got you, you don't mind her saving up 50. Why would you even give her a hundred dollars if yeah. she had $50,000 in the bank? Exactly. And so, and it never, he would never let me have that kind of money or have that kind of agency or power to leave. So I know that he found out that she had $50,000 saved yeah. and, 
and so took me over to my grandparents' house and dropped me off and then took her out like, hey, we're going to go have a nice dinner. And, yeah, you know, surprise, right? I'm going to have the $50,000 and we're going to go down to the boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he took her down to the boat and, you know, he must have gotten her, her money and then locked her in the in the engine room yeah. and um, and sunk the boat with her on it. And then he immediately went searching for a new boat. Yeah. And he found he found the uh, the Ben Ray in mm-hmm. um, in Fort Bragg, California, just south of of Eureka, and and so he he purchased this boat, the uh, the widow of the one of the men who built it, and he uh, immediately rechanged he changed the name of the boat to Claire Louise, you know, so mm-hmm. he'd have this monument like, look, I'm the poor fisherman who you know lost my wife, and yeah. and I've named the boat after her because I'm such a good guy. You know, Um, but he it's the story he told and it's the story he told himself and everybody downtown knew the same stories because he'd go down and get drunk and tell all of them the same stories he was rehearsing to me. And he'd tell it in front of people and over and over again. And and to some degree, you know, he must have believed his own lies. Once you tell it for so long, you know, Mm -hmm. does that become the memory? I think so. Yeah. The narrative becomes the memory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. That's like, <laughs> and somewhere and in there. So, I just, in, in all of this, it's like Claire, you know? Mm-hmm. And God for you, because Claire would have been forgotten. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm not sure still, I, I don't, well, I, I mean, I don't think that police and law enforcement agencies exist to solve crimes like this and protect victims. They, they yeah. exist to protect property rights. And so if there's no property owner that's been harmed or, you know, like they're not, and he's not unless they, unless anything. they have to, mm-hmm. unless they're pushed, they're not, yeah. they're not going Such to, you know, I, I've seen a lot of movies where, you know, the detectives told, ah, you forget about this stuff and they go home and work on it because they can't let it go. Mm-hmm. And then they're solving the crime and I, like just that. none of that happened here. Um, and Claire was failed. Honestly, Claire yeah. was failed. Yeah. And I believed in a, you know, I thought we were in a system where if something happened, well, surely the police would. They would go after that. And if they thought it was an accident, then it must be an accident. My grandmother's saying it was an accident. Grandmother would just, you know, totally validate his story. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, she knew. She knew there was something fishy about it. And he was always like this. I mean, he was so threatening and ready to be uh, violent. Um. I, you know, and I assume it was ruled as an accident. There was no, you know, yeah. there was no there was continued no charges. search. There was nothing anything. against no, anybody. No, nothing, so. nothing like that. Yeah. You know? yep. um, and I, you know, I didn't get to go to my mom's funeral. My, uh, my, my dad's mom had, you know, a, a service, a memorial service at, um, at yeah. um, but my mom's family believed that my dad had killed her. And, um, and they, uh, they had their own separate service. So that was kind of the, the beginning of the end for me, you know, seeing any of them. Yeah. And and you had mentioned they were already shut out. You know, he had really closed her off from them and really made him the center of her world. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I, I have, I, and this may not be the time because we're just trying to cover stuff, but I, 
I have a letter here oh, that um, I was at. We were out in Seattle in um, in the fall, in October. Sammy yeah. and I were. Mm-hmm. And we spoke with my mom's younger sister, June. Yeah. And she gave me a letter that my dad had written to them like a month after he killed my mom. Do you have and it she's kept it. She, yes, I do. She kept it all these years. And, um, and she gave it to us when we were out there. And I, I would like to read it. It's, um, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a crazy letter. Let me, let me get my glasses on. So this is, um, on, uh, five pages of, of note pattern, note paper, uh, written in red ink. The top of each page on the left-hand side, there's a circled number for the pages. There's five of them. Dear Williams family. And this is my dad. I wanted to come over and talk to you guys, but I guess it will be easier for me to express my feelings in a note. So here goes. Corson. I am ashamed at myself when I think of how I treated you as a father-in-law, but that's done. And all I can say is I am sorry. Claire loved you and she knew you loved her. It always made her very happy to see you. I know there was a very special relationship between you two. I truly hope and pray that we are both as brave and as strong in the Lord as your little girl was when we face our end. I know that nothing would make her happier. Claire became very concerned about the people she loved. I know that you know all this, but it's what I had to say. God bless you, Ernie. Marjorie, I admire your strength in the Lord for your understanding, forgiveness, and courage show it. And I know it comes from him. I know you loved her deeply, and I feel the hurt also, and you bear it well. You are a comfort for my faith. Marjorie, I have made a lot of mistakes in my life, but one of my biggest was not seeing your faith until it was tried. If I know anything, I know that Claire knew the Lord. As you know, Claire and I had a lot of trials and troubles, but we overcame them, her especially. And things were getting pretty good, and we found happiness in each other and him. Him being Jesus. I know how very special Claire was. I thank him. For the time I had with her. I am sure you know there wasn't much difference between her and Jesus. In fact, there was so little that's why she had to go to him. It's a wonderful comfort to try and imagine how precious she is. Marjorie, I do love you, you people, even though my actions don't show it. I mistreated Claire in a lot of ways, but I did love her, and I did watch her mature in the Lord, and she did leave us all as an, an example to follow. God bless you, Ernie. June, I really don't know you very well, but I know you loved Claire, and I know that she was very special, so that makes you special, too. I know I didn't always treat Claire right and failed her in many ways, but where I failed, God didn't, because she kept on growing in the Lord. Claire and I both had rough roads, her especially, but she walked to the end of hers with the courage of a saint. She was special, and I do love her. I wish you all the happiness in the world, and I'm sorry I wasn't a better brother-in-law than what I was. I hope you get a better job. God bless you, Ernie. P.S. I hope we can all say goodbye in person, in quotes, before you guys all move. 
and they all moved away. They wow. all moved up to the Seattle area after this. I feel like there's bits of things in there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to <laughs> talk about in there. There's a lot to talk about in there. Um, I'm particularly struck by his re- his repeated refrain that they both had it rough, especially my mom. Yeah. You know, um, and his justification that, you know, he may have done things wrong, but, you know, God used those things to help her grow. So it's all good. Um, that's, I mean, yeah. She was not, like him, had to go through it and go to him. Yeah. I mean, oh. he's writing a letter to a, a family and their daughter just died. And his whole mm-hmm. thing, his whole concern is, mm-hmm. I know you guys might not see me as the good guy, but I'm kind of backdoor the good guy because of Jesus. And mm-hmm. then to prove that, I want you to know that I know that you guys are good too. Um, and not... There's you know, no remorse there, really. It's just... No, there's no um, no accountability. Um, empty. You know, yeah. It's completely empty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were pretty convinced that he had killed her. Um, yeah. But didn't know, felt helpless to fight, you know, him and his family in the town, you know? Yeah. Wow. And so she just kind of was gone the mm-hmm. the boat was mm-hmm. gone nobody's i wish there's a few people on tiktok i tried to reach out to because mm-hmm. some people will do searches and stuff but knowing how deep it is who knows you know it just yeah. i wish something better could be done so that claire could be laid to rest properly you know and there was yeah. there was some things i was looking on web sleuth you know some theories are that she Somehow, I mean, with you saying the engine room is locked, there's an idea that she's in there, right? Mm-hmm. Some yes. people on Web Sleuth are saying that somehow she could have washed up on a beach and been an unidentified Jane Doe. And I mean, it's just really hard to know. Yeah. It's really hard to know. Yeah. Like, I don't know that he took her down there. Like, he, yeah. although if he hadn't had her with him, uh, I don't. I, I doubt that he would have locked the the engine room with the plan that the Coast Guard would actually get a diver into the boat. You know, yeah. I think that, you know, I think what likely happened is that he locked her in the engine room and sunk the boat with her in it. And, yeah. um, and you know. Or, now, did he get insurance yeah. money from this? No. From the boat? Okay. No. No, but no. he had a different money pile that was at yes yes so so right at this right at this time he has discovered that my grant that my mom has saved up fifty thousand dollars okay and so i did see on tiktok is this from i think the art ventures stuff like yeah or whatever she was doing but she had and they had you know they made money fishing yeah um and she was just really good about you know setting stuff aside but they had they had had like um you know, he in the in the early seventies he had a commercial fishing boat and you know barely made enough money to put more and keep going. But in in like seventy three, seventy four, my mom started um, really getting the boat buttoned up and getting the system working. And they had a few years there of catching a ton of fish 
and a ton of crab and making, you know, making a hundred or 200,000 a year gross with their fishing boat in the seventies. So they were doing really well. And my dad was, you know, using every opportunity of downtime to, you know, take off and go do drugs and have sex with other people. And, and so he wasn't real good at keeping track of stuff. And so I don't know if my mom was, you know, um, embezzling a little bit, you know, because in my dad's world, like it's all his, he owns it all. You're nothing. So there was no, I told that story on TikTok. I wanted, I told that story on TikTok because I wanted to, you know, present the the context, which is, you know, she's not allowed to have her own money, make her own decisions. I, I don't feel compelled to um to try to find the boat i've thought about it at times to try to find her remains um i feel like if it's a you know it's a way to remember my mom um you know if i i finally put together um you know this podcast or and or a book um i also could do a search i'd have to kind of get you know myself out there and get in get people's attention but there's art all over northern california that people came in and bought and a lot of it has her signature on it a lot of it's distinctive stuff it would be so wonderful to find people who have pieces of her art and do a um do a, a gallery showing in, in Eureka. That would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do something like that. And then when, then I can put pictures of her up. And We'll um, have to put a link up so that people can see. I'll put a snippet in, but we'll have to do something so that people can see what the signature looks like and maybe get the word out there. Yeah, yeah. TikTok maybe I need to, I'll do it. Yeah, I need to do a TikTok about this. That's a simple yeah. TikTok's good for little simple messages, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. just have maybe one last question about this, and I think I'm gonna okay. put it in next episode, but I'm not sure. How long okay. did it take Ernie to start seeing other women after Claire? I mean, it just fits into what we're talking about, but how long did it take for him? How oh. soon were, were women coming around? I mean, I don't remember any women being out at the house right after my mom died. Um, but, um, but by the time I was eight, he had a girlfriend who I think burned down the trailer. Somebody burned it down and he thought it was a woman that he'd been living with. And my dad saw other women, you know, while he was married to my mom too. Like he, they had, it was, it was all, you know, there was a lot of overlap there. You know, it might, he wasn't the kind of guy who wanted to have to, you know, I mean, he wasn't obsessed with it. Like he could work, he could focus on life. Um, but you know, he, he liked some companionship, um, you know, but it always, if he was having sex then, and he was very dirty about it all. Like he was, you know, just the, you know, the, the sex machine just out there to use the, the woman who's just trash. But as soon as he would get into having sex with somebody, then, then he would start to, um, have these expectations that she might, she better only love him. She better not ever have found anyone else attractive. And maybe hopefully she's been saving himself for him. And he's just cued for, wait, how are you betraying me? And you don't really care about me. And, you know, just, you know, at a nightmare level, you know? Um, And, and, and he would, you know, he felt like, well, you know, we had sex. So, you know, God has brought her to me and maybe she needs retraining. God and he totally accepted. To oh, yeah, God. he's totally accepted that 
he's a violent person and God knows that. So if God didn't want him to be violent with people, then God wouldn't bring those people to him and make, have them make him mad. How things work. Yeah. No, no, it's really not. It's really not. (laughs) But like he didn't recognize that anybody else had a relationship with God. He had it. He was right with God, but nobody else could, could define that for themselves. And, and he didn't see other people as having, that same intrinsic value, you know, except my mom. Now my mom was right with God, you know, but um, that was was important to the story. That was important to the story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wasn't, I didn't get any credit for that. I was the one that, you know, he's like, obviously you're still making me mad. So God's not sure if you're going to be, you know, a brave, good person, or if you're just going to be a worthless um, devil worshiper. And uh, that's probably why I'm here to, you know, either kill you or train you up. Yeah. And that was, that was what I grew up on. it took a while for him to decide whether or not. Would you say in regards, what would you, what would you have said back then? And what, what is your answer now to it's all a test? As a teenager, I believed this and I felt like I had failed the test. Like when, um, when my dad, after he killed Sandy, he uh, sent me to the store um, and, and I, um, ooh, I'm going to try to quickly get through the story to the point, which is after it. And, um, okay. he sends me to the store and by then I've been driving a little bit. I've taken a few trips to the store and, and I've had a few situations where I come back and I'm getting beat up because of the thing that I don't remember him telling me to get. So at this point I'm making him make a list. So we make a list every time I go to the store and I'm timed. He thinks a trip to you know grocery store shouldn't take me more than about 19 or 20 minutes. If it takes me 23 or 24, he wants to know who I talked to and what I said about him. And usually there's a beating. If it takes a half hour, I'm going to get beat up. So I'm rushing. The, the store's a panic for me. To this day, it is so hard for me to go to the grocery store. I fucking hate it. But I go to the grocery store with this list. And one of the items on the list is London broil. So I go up to the meat counter and I see London broil there, but the sticker on it says top round London broil. And I call, I push the button. I was afraid of people, but I pushed the button and talked to the butcher. And I said, this says top round London broil. Do you have any that just say London broil? And Mm -hmm. he looked at me kind of like I was stupid and said, no, that, that is London broil. It's just, it's, it's from the top round part of the cow. That's just how, how we label it. It's London broil. And I thought it would be ridiculous to ask him to print a sticker that didn't say top round on it. So I don't get beat up and I'm not, I can't tell him that. So I just took the top round London broil and I put it in the cart, but I had this sick feeling inside and this dread as I rushed through filling the list. And when I got home, sure enough, why does this say top round London broil? But I hear from so many people that I'm brave for just telling it that I realize that people don't tell these secrets. People sit on them. People live with it. People just fucking buckle down and survive. They don't. They they mm-hmm. just swallow it and die with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who knows? And I, you know, so I don't like to get into conjecture. Somebody would ask me, like, how do you know your repressed memories are true? I'm like, well, because I'm not telling you stuff that I don't actually remember. I'm not, I'm not adding, you know, I try to, you know, try to understand it, but you know, like, 
Like I can, I, I remember specifically instances with my dad, with me that were definitely sexual abuse. And I didn't see them as that until late in life. I had to have a loving friend kind of convince me that no, Sam, that's sexual abuse. That's, that's what it looks like, you know? <laughs> uh, but, this, but whatever happened yeah. to me when I was five, and I'm, I'm certain that there was some sexual abuse when I was five, but I don't want to describe it too specifically because I don't actually remember what was happening. I didn't understand sex enough to describe what was happening, you know? Like, I think, I feel like, I, I see my dad as reformed. I feel like I reformed him. Now, I don't want to say that he became a good person or that I would recommend anyone have a close relationship with him. He was terribly dysfunctional and narcissistic, but he gave up the violent part. And, um, you know, but I, um, I wouldn't let him be alone with my kids. Um, you know, I, and that, that, hap that happened uh, when I was 32. And I, I came back into town with the wife and the four kids and they're all little, you know, they're like, uh, like eight, six, four, and two. And, and we're visiting with my grandmother and she says, why don't you two go out and, and have a meal? You, you know, you always have the kids, I'll, grandma will play with the kids. And, and so we went out, it's like lunchtime, you know, we go have a nice lunch. We're hanging out. We come back like an hour and a half later and the kids aren't there. I said, grandma, where? where are the kids at? And she just nonchalantly says, Oh, your dad dropped by and he wanted to take them to the dollar store. And Oh God, I felt so nervous. But when the, the why did you feel nervous? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, because of, you know, because my dad's a fucking monster and, and I don't, you know, they're my kids. And I just, you know, like I started thinking of, I didn't know, you know, I, Oh, I didn't feel good about it. I mean, you know, like, yeah, he wasn't, you know, do, but he did some awful stuff to me. Awful. And, you know, he's a monster alone. And I, I don't think I wouldn't put anybody alone with him, especially not my kids that I loved. And, and I, you know, or any kids. And so when he got home, like, I, or back to my grandma's house, the kids were all excited and he'd let him each spend $5, which is huge for him, hugely generous. Um, and they all come in and they're playing with their stuff. And I just, sat and greeted them and that's nice that's nice and and my dad came in and sat down next to me I um I particular I I picked a seat next to where I thought he would sit and he came and sat next to me and I leaned over to him so as not to embarrass him and I said hey you know in a second here I need to talk to you outside and um you know and he he's like oh well, okay we can you know step out now if you want and so we walked outside and we sat down on, on the bench outside and he was already feeling pretty sheepish. And I said, look, man, I know that the, the kids love you, you know, your grandpa and you're great and you, you pay attention to them and you're, you've always been so kind to them. But after all the stuff that you put me through, I can't have you ever alone with my kids. And he just hung his head and, and he said, okay, I understand. And, um, you know, I, I think I patted him on the back or something and got up and walked back inside. And, and I don't know if he cried or, you know, but um, I think it took kind of the wind out of his sails a little bit, you know, but but fuck that. I just I feel like I set a really good boundary. 
Yeah, and I was fuck telling- politeness. Fuck yeah. politeness. Shout out to my favorite yeah. murder. Fuck politeness. <laughs> you well, don't owe you anything know, to him. You, you know, don't I, owe anything to him. When I talked to Bob Novarino after my dad died, I was sitting there with Bob, and I told him that story. And he had the Bob had the biggest smile on his face, and he yeah. said, "You did it, man. You sat there and you did it calm too. You sat there and you told him who's in charge and how yeah. it's going to be right now, and he and he submitted to you. You did it. Like like he he really uh, impressed upon me that I was underestimating the gravity of that moment. And so did he, did he have permission to take them? Like, but not, okay. So he didn't have permission, but, but not from me, but my, my grandma, was he around often? Like, was this like the first, like what, what was going on that he was like, so my grandpa, my grandpa, or not my grandpa, my grandma lived in Eureka and my grandpa lit or not my grandma. I keep calling it's my dad, my dad, their grandpa, my dad lived out in uh, Fieldbrook, out in, in, you know, in the valley, like 15, 20 miles away. So he would come into Eureka a lot and he would often stop by and see my grandma and he knew we were coming into town, you know, so he probably just decided, you know, he's, and that's how my dad was. You don't make an appointment. He just, he swings by. And it was always that way, family events or get togethers, Mm -hmm. or he's going to show up when he shows up. When I was living with my grandparents from six to 12 or 13 you know, he would be gone and, and then just show up one day and, and, you know, there was no telling when. So that's how he did. And so if we were over at grandma's, he would probably just swing by and visit at some point, you know, and, um, you know, maybe if we were getting along, you know, grandma would invite him to come back for dinner or something the next day or, you know, and he, you know, but he, there was no pinning him down. So, so it was reason, you know, I, I see how it was normal for my grandma, you know, like, oh, you know, that's their grandpa. He came in. She wants to see her son be a good grandpa, you know. Um, so the fact that he was willing to do anything was was thrilling for her, you know. She always just wanted to see him do better. And, you know, I she, my, and my grandmother, she, you know, she agreed at the end. I mean, she didn't know how bad it was. I mean, how could she? Nobody knew. And And I, you know, I was trained and my mom was trained to make it look like everything's fine. Make it look like everything's normal. We're not supposed to look afraid or look, you know, battered or, or beaten. We're supposed to hide that. And I was embarrassed and wanted to hide it anyway. I, you know, I didn't want to go to school with a fat lip. I, you know, all that got me was the, you know, kids saying, Oh, I can give you a fat lip too. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't blame her for that at all. You know, that's just, you know, I, I was the one who had to set that boundary. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm the one who had to say, yeah, serial killer. No. Yeah. <laughs> Too much for me. <laughs> right. Right. Like that spark of, I need to be the one who saves her. Like I felt so much pressure to save her, yeah. but I felt pretty convinced that I was too cowardly and worthless. Like I didn't have any in- much internal hope that I would be able to. And, um, you know, and so I doubted that anybody else could, and I, you know, um, I, I mean, I was kind of primed for that, but I, but at the time, I mean, I felt so low and so worthless, like, you know, every, I thought, wow, I'm really, I'm the character in the story. 
that is just a cowardly piece of shit and hides while everybody's getting hurt. That's me. I don't think that was you at all. You know, but I I mean, I you were a little kid who was getting abused by his dad. Yeah. I think your dad had just killed his mom or, Mm -hmm. you know, really left her there maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just he, the amount of violence that, that, spewed from this man in a way is irredeemable you know yeah like yeah. I, I i like how when you say the forgiving you know that's that's before you know yeah yeah but it also calls yeah. the question a lot of the things he did like when you when you say that he can't be around the kids anymore you know can he be redeemed ever it's not redeemable you know no a lot i of mean the things, there's a certain point where no, if forgiveness, if forgiveness meant not holding him in, in against him in any way, then I, then I stumble on that point. I, I yeah. would not, he doesn't get the same you, freedoms. You were just, I don't, you, know, you were a little kid. You, you were, I don't, you know, I don't, yeah. it, I don't believe and, in being a teenager. Punishing, it's not, but, it's, it's yeah. not that, you know, your brain wasn't even fully formed yet. Like, yeah. And I was, and I was being traumatized, which is horribly you had brain been sexually abused. You had been yeah. abused. You had seen women be abused and, maybe, and gaslit maybe, constantly yeah, and just awful things. in front yeah. of you. And, and just, I'm really not, like, I look, it's your fault. I look back and I, and I can see that he was, you know, trying to break me at times, you know, yeah. Trying to put me in danger None physically. Of this is your fault. Trying to, you know, because of what he did. Yeah. I mean, I like to think of it in like simple Greek tragedy terms. You know, you know, it's just the, you know, I'm just the character whose dad killed my mom and lied about it. <laughs> well, yeah. The first episode, I'm going to call it the great Ernest Samuel Christie the third. I love you so much. <laughs> Oh, it's just, yes, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, Sammy dubbed me that and I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, between you and me in the car at the the South Point Mall, sure. You know, um, but I dubbed you you it. What? Yeah. Well, um, you know, it was this day where we were talking and I was feeling that fragile um, masculine uh, insecurity which mm-hmm. has plagued me throughout my dating relationships. It's been awful. You know, I've had my dad in my head and in, in any way. Um, but I'm, you know, so I hated dating. I, I was okay being married because I had to do the next thing and we had kids and it was fine. But once I divorced and started dating, I was a train wreck emotionally. And so early on, Sammy and I are wading through all of this in me and, and she she kind of turns and changes her demeanor and looks right at me. And she says, Sam, you're not, you know, all these things you're saying. You are Ernest Samuel Christie, the third comma, the great. And it really, um, like, mm. <laughs> it's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> Not that I think I am, but I mean, she called me that. And, you know, and her point was like, you know, rather than wallowing in this, you know, insecurity of am I acceptable to other people or am I, you know, good enough or, you know, just to embrace that perhaps I'm 
I'm great or I'm just fine the way I am. And <clears throat> it's been part of my, um, my development of my, um, my new theology, which, which is um, that, that we are, you know, all of us um, perfectly, perfectly fine human beings who, who never needed to be judged by a, uh, an outside being. Um, and, and, um, yeah, we call each other good and evil and call and, you know, the Christians say that we're all evil and need to be forgiven of our sins so that we can be acceptable to God. And I think that that doctrine it is absolutely wrong and flies in the face of, of just how marvelous each one of us is, you know, um, anyway, but I mean, I didn't feel that way. I felt like just a failure my whole life. And, you know, duh, you obviously so I did. I failed to save my mom. You did not. And by the time he killed Sandy, like in my head, I, by the time he killed, and we can go here, but I felt, he tried to make, make me feel like I was responsible for Sandy because I, you know, you know, pissed him off or I didn't, you know, say or do the right thing to, 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 to turn him. And you know what? Him. I can see why you would have this like, like internal feeling yeah. of feeling that like guilt, that constant yeah. guilt, but that's, that's survivor's guilt. That's, yeah. that's a, a guilt that was placed yeah. upon you and that you, I, I yep. know you're like, oh, you hate when people say you have to let it go, but a part of yeah. you, that's something that you really are going to have to. Yeah. But I mean, that's why, and, and, and I, I want to address that too. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're right. I do. No, and, um, and, and this but I is think, me. I think those comments are meaning, you know, they're being a little rude. Yeah, but yeah, they, yeah. But I think you understand. There's a, there's aspects to this that you're gonna that you have to like obviously do other mental work with. But I'm I'm mildly I'm mildly hopeful that that this doing this podcast and doing this TikTok work will release it. You know, the part that bothers me about let it go is, you know, I want to say to Karen, bitch, if I could, we wouldn't <laughs> be talking about it. Like, it's not like I'm holding on to stuff and drudging stuff up. Like, oh, my God, it took me till 1988. He killed Sandy. It took me until mm -hmm. 2010 to have the conversation in, with myself in my head and say to myself, but I'm not the one who did any of the killing. Yeah. I'm not the one who created the situation. Yeah. I wasn't doing any of it. I didn't, you know, like if anything, I was just trying to help, you know, uh, keep everybody alive. I, you know, but I, yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, but it wasn't until then that I really was able to distance myself because if I thought about talent, I was all caught up in, Oh, you know, you're a worthless coward and now you want to be a snitch. You know, that's where I was. And by two, but in 2010, I, I, I turned a corner. I had a couple of years of psychotherapy, which really, really helped us. It cost a lot of money. And everybody I met in the whole process had, uh, you know, problems and, and, and helpful things about them <laughs> to just, you know, I had to pick my way through it. I had to, I had to face all this to get to the point where I could tell myself and believe it wait, this isn't my fault. I didn't kill this woman. And that's when I, that's when I called the sheriff to, uh, you know, to, to tell him everything. Um, when I finally got to that point where I, 
I felt like, oh no, it would be a good thing. I, I, and I get to tell this if I want to, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that was a hard, that was a hard emotional hurdle to get over. It's weird that these, these things in our lives take years, you know. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I'm so glad you all tuned in. Uh, There was a lot here. We've got a lot more story to go through. I know Sam and I are both really excited to dive into this. Um, Sam, do you have anything to leave our listeners with? Remember that even if you're scared, you're stronger than you think. Oh, that's really sweet. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Frankly Earnest. I hope you'll join us next Monday when we release our next episode at 7.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Central Time. Remember, if there's anything at all you want us to talk about or any story of yours that you'd like us to share, reach out to us on Instagram at Frankly Earnest Podcast. And now, enjoy some bloopers for me and Sam trying to get set up for this episode. I think they're kind of hilarious. See you next week. All right, are you there? Hello, Allie, Allie, Allie. Allie, can you hear me? You know, Sammy, um, Allie was uh, saying we could just have you, uh, we could send you a link. And she would love to to hear all the, the real dirt on me. Okay, so Allie, we've gotten together for a couple of times, mm-hmm. gone out to dinner, had some fun, talked about, no, I, get your mind out of the gutter, we're just... We, we didn't go out to dinner, though. Uh, well, that's a lie, we've but never yeah, we've never out gone to out dinner. to dinner. 
and probably never will. <laughs> but we've sat and chatted. Yep. Yes. Now, what... What... <laughs> I didn't mean to catch you off guard. I was yeah, just like... Yeah, that's crazy. I was just like, yeah. Well, yeah. they don't know that. I'll, I'll cut all that. It's fine. Okay. They, can, right. they can think we went to dinner. I would just... All right. Okay. didn't mean to have my eyebrow. But we, want, we want this to feel like we're at dinner now. It's like a sure. dinner with, the, with, our, with our audience. Sure. Yes. Yes. Now, I think we like each other. We enjoy each other's company. Mm-hmm. How would you describe our relationship? Friendly, cantankerous, argumentative... Debatable. 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 How so? I think because we debate in it. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? The correct use of terms? We I debate. guess. Sure. We debate within mm-hmm. our little friendship here uh-huh. and I enjoy that. Uh-huh. Maybe argumentative is what yes. I mean more. Yes. I don't know. Do you ever get angry at me when we're talking? Yes. Uh-huh. And how so? Give me an not example in, of that. Not in an anger way though. Mm-hmm. Frustration uh-huh. is the correct uh-huh. terminology yes. to use. Yes. Because I think you mansplain a lot, but that's uh-huh. just what men do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and how do I mansplain? You mansplain by describing things to me that I already very well mm-hmm. know how to do, and you should mm-hmm. know that I know how to do, mm-hmm. because a lot of them are just common sense, and that's uh-huh. how you mansplain. Yes. Yes. But if it seems like you don't understand something, how is that... What is the difference like between mansplaining and explaining? Exactly, Can I just explain need, something to you? No, you need to focus in on what you think it is that I need explaining mm-hmm. about. Because if you if you go back to that question for yourself, you should be able to answer, oh, mm-hmm. that's common sense. She yes. knows that. What, what is it that's telling you I need help? If I say, why don't you have a seat in this chair? Oh, by the way, a chair is a wooden thing with four legs that you said... That would be insulting. That's condescending and degrading. I agree with that. But I don't think I do that with you, right? Sometimes there's some confusion and I try to pull back and explain the confusion in a way that we both understand. What is the difference between mansplaining and explaining something to a man? I think we have to to catch us in an actual instance Mm -hmm. because it's much more complex than that. Mm -hmm. It's not just you thinking you need uh-huh. to explain more because uh-huh. the situation's being lost. It's it's an actual, like, you open up with mm-hmm. something mansplaining. Now, if I say something that's completely harmless, it's just regular conversation, and you're insulted by that because it's mansplaining, wouldn't that be a definition of womansplaining? No. No. Womansplaining is when I'm doing exactly Women what... stuff. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yes. Woman's explaining is when I dancing do it. and watching soap operas. No. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> it's the exact... Do they have soap operas anymore? Yes. Oh my god, my mom grew up. Like she actually really? ended up naming one of her children Natalie May really? from the Young and the Restless mm-hmm. or whatever. It was like too much. So how are soap operas still around? Soap operas were designed number they're 1 because on. there's no there was no DVR. Yeah. So there was nothing else to shows. watch at the time. Yeah. Women were home. They're not home anymore. They're working. So who is watching these shitty, crappy, <laughs> daily soap operas? When you can watch anything, you have a choice of millions of other television viewing options. I have who to is say, watching? What is the rating of a soap opera now? I don't know, but my mom yeah. is watching new episodes every day. She records them. I watched soap operas when I was young. It's too much. I'm like, ugh. Uh, Guiding Light I watched, and I watched As the, uh, As the World Turns. No, not that one. 
What's the one with this, the, the, uh, the sands of the hourglass? What is that? The Days of Our Lives yes. I used to watch. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the days. <laughs> Yes. And what were the plot threads were at the time 25 years ago? If, I, if those shows are still on, I bet they're still working on those same plot yeah. threads. Nothing ever got resolved. This one cheated with that one and is yes. having a baby. And yes. the whole family's now found out. Yes. And there's a secret marriage that yes. happened. Yeah. But this just... all takes place over the course of months and months yes. and months. Whereas in a movie, someone cheats on someone, that's a five-minute scene. Yep. Yeah, it just never ended. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the whole point of soap operas. Just keep it going, right? How do we fill out an hour? Kind of like our podcast. Yeah. What I used to like about soap operas are there was always one doctor. So whether you, you know, you banged your knee on a table and you had a little bruise or you needed open heart surgery, yes. that doctor, <laughs> he was taking care of everything. everything. There was always one lawyer. Yeah. So if you need to get out of a speeding ticket or you were arrested for murder, yep. indicted for murder, which is always the case... That lawyer that everybody knew, Bill, would come in and help you. Yep. That's what I like about Bill. so much. Yeah, that's call, good writing. Have you called Bill? Yeah, that's creative writing. We yes. don't need, yeah, there's no, <laughs> there were no consultants about how the law worked no. or, yeah. No. Yeah, that's what I liked. Yeah. Interesting. TV has not gotten much better. Mm-hmm. No. Yes, it has. No. TV is much, much better. Have you watched Shit's Creek, though? I love Shit's Creek. I, it's the funniest. Shit's Creek is the best thing I've ever seen. Uh-huh. Oh, it's good. Now, how did you feel when you first started watching it? I was looking for something funny. Something, I've, I was looking for something I could actually LOL to. Like, okay. not that, like, <laughs> like actually laugh while mm-hmm. I'm watching. Let me ask you in a different way. Okay. Did you watch the first episode first? Yes. And how did you feel about that? I thought it was hilarious. Really? I thought it was so funny. That is different than everyone I've known who's watched the show. I thought it was And hilarious. I'm going to use this as an analogy to D+, our podcast, because my sister told me, you got to watch Shit's Creek. You'll love it. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine told me, you got to watch Shit's Creek. You'll love it. I watched the first episode. I thought it was horrible. And I'm a big fan of Chris Elliott. I'm a big fan of Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara. They're all brilliant. Um, I just, it was painful for me to watch. It was mm. awkward and uncomfortable. And it, it the, you know, the kids were horrible. They were all kind of one-note characters. And wow. the plot itself, Chris Elliott was in the their hotel room and he wouldn't leave it just was it was kind of annoying yeah and both people told me you know what i know i know just get get through the first episode get through the first two three episodes you'll like it and i stopped you know i watched it one episode had no interest in ever watching again a couple of years later uh i wasn't doing anything anyway so i started watching again it's so good it is so good it just keeps getting better and better honestly you can almost skip the first season but and I've told people now, passing on, uh, what do you call when you're passing on, uh, pay it forward. Mm-hmm. So I've told people about the show, and I've always said, try to get through the first episode. It's not the greatest thing in the world. And people have told me it was pretty bad. Some people kept going, though, and they thanked me for it because it gets so good. It's amazing. I cry during all the episodes. You do? You the cry. later ones. Oh, yeah, of course I do. The, the one where- Well, I'm an easy crier. Oh, you are? I cry, yes. Oh, my God. I didn't it's not know hard for me you. to cry. I yes. didn't know that. Yes. It's useful information. Yes. You know the St. Jude's commercials and the Shriners yeah. commercials and the Animal Abuse commercials? today can help. Yeah, those commercials are designed for me. I watch the commercial. I cry. I go donate. You know, to go to... I donate 20... I go on my phone and yeah, give them 20 bucks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I want to jump back to the Shit's Creek thing real mm-hmm. quick because the funniest episode ever was the one where they're looking for the wedding mm-hmm. venue. And they 
almost set on that one beautiful spot. And then they hear the pigs squealing in the distance, and they're like, what? What is that? No? I don't even remember it. You don't remember that one? You know, uh, well, I will say this. I liked the show so much when I started watching it. And, I, you know, I, since I caught it later, most of the shows have already been produced. So I watched, I couldn't stop watching it. I just mm-hmm. marathoned it obsessively. So I probably don't remember all the details. I remember when, uh, what's Eugene Levy's son's name in the show? Dan. Oh, Dan. Um, David. Dan Levy. Yeah, in real life. Yeah, in the show it's David. Uh, when he met that guy and his boyfriend was serenading him. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I remember Catherine O'Hara's movie that she was making i guess i do remember a lot of stuff i don't remember that scene exactly i'll have to go back though but i want to go back to the mansplaining thing because i find this fascinating okay do you think it's possible that and i'm not saying this is always the case i'm not saying this is true but do you think it's possible that sometimes not always not usually but sometimes i say something and you legitimately literally don't understand it but rather than pulling back and saying, can you explain it to me? You get angry when I start explaining it to you. No. And because of your feminist studies background, of which you are majoring or minoring? Minoring. Minoring. But no. I don't agree. Because of that, no. maybe you think that's your automatic response is to say this is mansplaining. No, when in actuality, it's one person just explaining something to another person. No. No. Yes. It's not. No. Because I have no problem telling you when I don't understand mm-hmm. something. Yes. I have. Yes. I have told you that. You have told me that. But even when you do, and then I start explaining it, sometimes you caught me halfway through and say, well, now you're mansplaining. No. Because I don't need the basics. Uh-huh. I don't need the foundational. Yes. All right. If I'm mansplaining to you, let me, here's another question. You're the feminist studies minor. Mm-hmm. I never quite understood my, I didn't have a minor, as you know. I don't quite understand why someone would have a college minor. You have a major, and that's what your field is, and that's what you want to do something. And minor is like, okay, I'm also going to take these other classes. They have no meaning to me, but it's a minor. It's like you're having a minor spouse. Here's my real wife. No. And I love her, and I'm going to spend all my time with her, and you're my minor wife. I still like you. I'm taking enough credits to be married to you. I'm not going to spend much time with you. I'm no. never going to do anything with you. But you're because my minor wife. I might do you're something. You're important to you. Not as important as my major wife. This is my major family. You're my major kids. And you're my minor kids. I might do something with my minor. And what would you do You can do with master that? with your minor. Uh-huh. I'm, I might master You can master with your studies. minor. Yeah. Can you minor with your master? Sure. Uh-huh. If they have the minor. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, it makes no sense whatsoever. I can master in English. I can mm-hmm. major in English. I can minor in English. Yeah. I can major in... Why would you minor in something that you're already majoring in? That makes absolutely no sense. You can't minor in something you're majoring in. Mm-hmm. But you can minor in it if you don't want to major in it. Mm-hmm. That's the point. I can't major in women's studies. Mm-hmm. So I added the minor on so that I could learn more have more of a broader view understanding Mm -hmm. because in literature a lot there's a lot of women's studies throughout it there's Mm -hmm. feminist critique theory that's a huge huge Mm -hmm. portion of the way that people dissect novels and whatnot especially Mm -hmm. in modern day so i think there's it's not like oh you're not as important to me it's oh i also studied in this field but there wasn't maybe as much of an opportunity or time minor is just i also Study now, this. let me stop you right there. We're recording, right? Yes. Now, you were starting to get a little boring. I'm going to be honest. That's what the audience was thinking. You were starting to get a little dull there. 
Now, by stopping you, is that a form of mansplaining? No. Okay. All right, there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I think I have Boom. enough for an intro, though.